Hollywood takes pride in its recent campaigns for equality and inclusion. Actors of all colors, ethnicities, and genders. So how come they still ignore 20% of the population? It's time to talk about it. All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Welcome to All Inclusive. I'm your host, Jay Ruderman, and today we will address one of Hollywood's biggest mysteries, the lack of equal representation of people with disabilities, 20% of the U.S. population. The Ruderman White Paper on Employment of Actors with Disabilities in Television found that 95% of top TV show characters with disabilities are played by non-disabled performers. We also found out that most networks don't even audition actors with disabilities. Why is that? With us today is actor, comedian, and activist for the disability rights movement, Danny Woodburn. He played most famously Mickey Abbott on Seinfeld, and he has appeared in more than 130 television shows and has made 28 film appearances to date. He's also recognizable by his dwarfism. Danny, thank you for joining us today on All Inclusive. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your journey in Hollywood, how you got started, and where you are today. We're going back now, almost uh, 30. I'm in my 30th year in Los Angeles, Hollywood, I guess you can say. You know, when I was in college, I did a number of plays. I did regional theater. I did some off-Broadway stuff. And I think when I was in college, I felt like a big fish because I had time to establish myself. People got to know me. They got to know what I was capable of doing on stage. And so I never felt like my dwarfism was an issue in terms of my casting in college. So I come to Hollywood and I knew it was going to be some kind of an issue, but I didn't really necessarily know to what degree. You know, I did a lot of pounding of the pavement. And I finally ended up with an agent who represented a lot of little people. Uh, her name was Coralie Jr. Coralie was very old school. Every year in the variety, she would put a um, big picture of all of her little people clients in order of height. It is a picture that I never participated in, but, you know, that was sort of the way she sold everybody. I got a couple of jobs through her and then moved on to other things because I knew the kind of career she wanted me to have was not the kind of career I wanted to have. It was not, I didn't want to be a psychic. I didn't want to mocked on screen or, or laughed at. You know, I wanted to be in on the joke as an actor. I wanted my characters to be three-dimensional and not just there as, as a prop, as so many types of little people roles had been. So I think after about three years in town, I landed the Seinfeld gig. And that jump-started my career as an actor and not so much as, as a prop or costume character or extra. With that success, I was able to give voice to my concerns when I got in the room. And a lot of times it was quite useful to say, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be called that. I don't want to appear in that fashion. I would say 70% of the time it was met with the positive response because I was able to I had been able to show what I could do on, on Seinfeld, and of course I had been asked back. And so I was starting to get respect from my peers, and not just as a person with an actor with dwarfism, but as an actor. That sort of, for me, was the pinnacle moment of, of change for me. So do you feel like your disability has been an obstacle in the entertainment business, or do you think it's benefited you? 
Well, I'm a character actor. So I, I have friends that are character actors who I know are given more opportunities than I am because I'm still seen as a, a particular type. Like I'll still get feedback. You know, I could never be a doctor or I could never be this or I could never be that. And I've played sort of every kind of role there is from lawmen to heads of the State Department to dads to truck drivers. I've run the gamut on as many possible differing types of roles. But that is a struggle to get to those spots where I can secure those roles. So my audition opportunities are definitely not the same as another actor of my experience and my resume. That actor will receive, I think, far more opportunities to audition than I do. So I, I do think it's a hindrance, but I also think it helps in terms of my recognizability factor. So one of the things I've always been really impressed about you, Danny, is that you have been really outspoken in your advocacy for disability inclusion in Hollywood and wrote some pretty strong pieces, some some op-eds and some research. Were you ever afraid of being like blackballed or pushed out of uh, the entertainment industry because of your activism? Well, you know, I, I haven't I haven't heard anything in terms of feedback yet as far as the possibility of being you know turned down because I might be considered problematic in that sense but you know I know it hasn't helped with certain things back in 1999 I had seen a breakdown breakdown is when the roles come out for a project and they explain what the role is and you know they get into the specifics of the role and then Agents see these roles and then submit their clients on these roles. So the breakdown came down for Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the breakdown specifically described how tall each actor should be. And at the end of the breakdown, there was a statement saying, no little people. And that really kind of bothered me because I feel like the mythology about those kinds of stories is born out of the actual interaction with actual little people in our history. So I made a bit of a stink. I wrote a letter to Peter Jackson back in 99, and he wrote me back, and he explained that they didn't have a no little people policy, but they were doing a certain kind of technical thing. Anyway, as you can see, it, it, it didn't come to fruition that any little people got any roles on screen that were recognized as little people in those roles. And as a result of my letter, I, Billy Barty, and uh, one other actor whose name escapes me, were brought in to audition for that casting director because of that letter. So I don't know if it helped me or hurt, hurt me back then. Peter Jackson's never offered me a job in 20 years, so... Uh, not to say that he would or wouldn't have, but I feel like he owes it to the little people community to put on screen little people in a project since Lord of the Rings. I feel like he, he should make up for that lack of diversity within those three films. I know many actors with disabilities who are commercially successful, and they're activists also, but their activism is tempered by the fact that, you know, they, they have to work. They don't want to get blackballed, and you seem to be a little bit more courageous in your activism. So for that, I want to just give you some credit, because I think your voice is heard within the entertainment industry. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I try I try hard not to single anybody out necessarily, although I, I might single out a production, but I don't necessarily attack the actor ever that I can think of. So because I, you know, I'm going to come across people all the time. And as you and I know, the, the recent controversy around Brian Cranston uh, and his portrayal in um, The Upside of a person in a wheelchair, it's something I've commented on. 
and I would comment on it. And I've argued against the argument that was made. And I've worked with Brian, and I know Brian. I, I even had asked Brian to do a video for our campaign of disability as diversity a year and a half ago. So it was sort of odd to me that that relationship was filled with those events. Uh, and yet this particular decision was made, and it wasn't investigated enough, in my view, to understand the idea behind their argument that it was a business decision. So let's talk a little bit about the movie The Upside, in which Brian Cranston plays a quadriplegic. And Brian's been interviewed and brought up some real concerns about playing a disability, about where is the line. He, I think, makes a, I'm paraphrasing, but as a wealthy, uh, straight, white person, what does that mean? He can't play someone that's gay or someone that's poor. And he says that he's all in favor of, of increased inclusion of people with disabilities in the entertainment field but he's sort of questioning what is acting and where is the line. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that because it seems to me that in the overall popular entertainment industry, there are lines. Uh, you're not going to see a white actor play character of Martin Luther King or you've seen the emergence of a more powerful African-American community in Hollywood and Asian community. Where is the disability and, and how do you see this issue? You know, should all roles depicting disability be played by actors with disabilities? What are your thoughts on this? You know, we ha have to look at whether or not all things are equal. Um, and currently they are not. As, as you had mentioned earlier, 95% of the roles depicting disability are not going to people with disabilities. So I think I would be okay with the argument about that I've heard many times is that it's acting if there was not a business aspect to it. And there is a business aspect to it. There is a disparity for certain groups in trying to get employment and in trying to get opportunity and in trying to even get an education in their field because of that disparity. So all things being equal, I would agree with Brian, but we don't live in that society yet. And so until we do, we have to balance the playing field, at least to the point of equality. Uh, I'm not saying we need to make X, Y, and Z happen, but we do need to create an arena that is completely equal for all persons to have opportunity, and that does not exist. And my 30 years of experience in this business tells me that does not exist. I have seen it time and time again. I have heard quotes, I have experienced personal things with regard to that disparity, so I know it doesn't exist, and, and if you are going to take a role, I, I think if Hollywood were to say, okay, we're gonna take this role, this lead role from a person with disability, but in return, we're going to give five others back of roles that maybe didn't necessarily have a disabled character uh, in mind, or there's no focus on the disability. We're going to give those roles back because we know there's a disparity. But that doesn't happen. I can't get on board with his argument at this point. I think that as a society, we've progressed in a place where it would be uh, socially unacceptable for Caucasian actor to play a role that was specifically a, for a black character or an Asian character, Hispanic character. Even at the Golden Globe recently, Sandra Oh, who was presenting, was sort of mocking a few recent films in which a white actress had played an Asian character, and Emma Stone, who was one of those actresses, screamed out from the audience, I'm sorry. So I think there's a realization of the power of authentic representation for African-American, Asian, Hispanic actors. I don't see that yet with actors with disabilities. 
I don't know if society isn't there yet in terms of seeing it as people with disabilities as a distinct class. There just doesn't seem to be equality there. I would side with you. I think it's it's an issue of authentic representation. When you have 20% of the population with some form of a disability, yet less than 3% of the roles in entertainment have an actor with a disability, there's something wrong in the industry. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, from your own experience, what are some of the obstacles that you see that actors with disabilities face when auditioning for roles in film and TV? Let's start with a very basic physical access to a possible place of employment or high, or an interview. You know, Hollywood casting houses uh, are oftentimes in older buildings on lots that are historic. You know, the Warner the Columbia Pictures lot, which is now the Sony lot, buildings there from the early 1900s still standing. And sometimes those auditions are held up on the second story of one of these two-story buildings, and it's all stairs. And this is not uncommon. Even outside the studio, you find temporary places to audition people, and they might just be in an old Hollywood bungalow, which I've gone to before, or some other unique little office that's above another establishment. But it's on the second floor or the third floor, and you have to go upstairs. I've seen specifically written down, there is no elevator access. Don't use the elevator. You have to go up in the building and up the stairs or whatever it is. So I've seen this still, and I see it a lot. And so right away, we're closing that door to anybody with a mobility disability who can't necessarily use the stairs in quite the same way. And this came very true for me after I had a a knee surgery that was corrective, and I had an audition, oh, maybe a week or two later, but I wasn't ready for stairs at the time. And so I had to single myself out by calling the entire casting team down to the first floor into another room with all the video equipment and producers to come and audition me. And so that has separated me from the pack that has made me some other. And uh, you had mentioned earlier about recognizing disability in the same way that, uh, let's say, color is recognized. And I've come up against this in the discussion of inclusion, which is when I question organizations about their inclusion initiatives being exclusive of people with disabilities, that becomes the rhetoric about what inclusion is. And when I ask some of these organizations, well, why aren't you including people with disability? And they say, we're just fo- focusing on the cultural aspects right now. That tells me that they really don't have an understanding of disability because there is a culture around disability and they're just not aware of it. It might not have to do with color, skin color, or but it does have to do with a bond that is ingrained in people with disability who see each other and come across each other. There's a, uh, a distinct connection. I have felt it in the people that I have worked with and met because we all have a joint understanding of what each of us is up against in society. And that rhetoric of inclusion, quote unquote inclusion, that kind of talk gets moved into programs, gets moved into benefiting those particular groups and continue to be exclusive. And I've seen laws in the state of New York, but program that benefits uh, contractors that are people of color or women. And I called on this and I said, well, why isn't there any kind of extension of that benefit to people with disability? And the response is, well, if that, you know, person with disability is a woman or is a person of color, then yeah, it's extended. And I said, well, that's not how, that's not how the diversity aspect of this works. That's not how the inclusion aspect of this works. And uh, they're in disagreement with me, and that becomes a whole other fight. And they say to me, there are no disparity studies. And I say, all you have to do is open your eyes, and that's your study. (laughs) 
You're listening to All Inclusive with Jay Ruderman. You can learn more, view the show notes and transcripts at rudermanfoundation.org slash allinclusive. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. Danny, I, I know that, that in the past three decades, half of the men that have won the best actor Oscar have won for playing a disability. And the mere fact is that Hollywood, the entertainment industry, the general public sees the portrayal of disability by an able-bodied actor as great acting. It wouldn't be the same if a white actor put on blackface or dressed up as an Asian or Hispanic character. There's something fundamental in our society that I think Hollywood is reflecting. The stories of disability are interesting, but we don't want to see characters or actors with with those disabilities portraying it. That's a huge challenge to move beyond. And I'm just curious as to your thoughts of how we can move beyond that. I mean, I know you've been engaged in this advocacy for for quite a long time. You know a lot of people in the industry. You've talked to them. How do you overcome that hurdle? Well, as you said, it's three decades, if you're looking at the past three decades. And and if you go back to three decades ago and you look at uh, Molly Matlin's win for the Academy Award and how much flack she got because she happens to be deaf, playing a deaf character, and that you know the, the premise was that she should not have received that award. So not only do we award or reward those actors without disability portraying disability, but the ones that actually have the disability that portray it, we punish. So until we have an understanding that that's not acceptable, that's going to be part of the hurdle. That's going to be part of the pushback. And I think Molly's done a fine job of bringing attention to that over the years. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the reasons that it's not looked at in the same way as playing another ethnicity. It's because I, Danny Woodburn, will never be black. I can never be a black person. However, I, Danny Woodburn, can lose my hearing. I can go blind. These, all these things can happen to me that put me in, in that percentage of people with disabilities. So I think that's part of the obstacle there, that these are relatable things that actors could possibly experience. But we still have to just come back to the basics of opportunity and employment and the access to education and employment. If we come back to that and only that and stop making the argument about acting and what acting is, that's when we can get past this because it's not about, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. It is acting uh, and you can act these characteristics. However, you are pushing out and, and not helping to move forward opportunities for those that are actually these people who you are portraying. So I, I don't think we can, we can argue about the acting aspect of it because I think that the argument will continue. Actors are very passionate about that. I think the issue of stigma is is a huge issue also. When you have especially on the small screen, but also on film also, when you when you have it a personal interaction through entertainment of a culture that may not you may not come in contact with, whether it's African American or Hispanic or Asian or disability, it, it tends to reduce the stigma, it tends to change attitudes, and it makes a difference. And I think that that's why the entertainment business, more than, than almost any other business, has a responsibility to consider representation because they do really have an impact on societal attitudes. So 
as we enter into 2019, what's the push? How can we as advocates begin to change this industry? Well, I think the I think the real thing too, and and you do this, you know, in spades, Jay, is is to talk about it, is to make sure that the disability community and advocates are present at every turn when these things occur. So, you know, I'm watching the changes happen. I'm watching things start to move. I'm watching the needle start to move. The SAG-AFTRA Performance with Disabilities Committee just had a meeting yesterday, and we, we do an annual watchdog report that basically tells us through our own reporting what roles came out for people with disability and who was cast in those roles. So if we look at television, the disparity is, is tipping in our favor. There are more roles now in television that are cast as people with disability, more people with disability being cast in roles that are specific to the disability, even though the other things still exist. Film, on the other hand, is is not moving as much, uh, if at all. Still, it's a, a larger number of, of portrayals of, of people with disability by able-bodied actors. But, you know, I mean, I just know the pages are longer, so that's good. But at the same time, there's, there's more than three networks of uh, jobs now. There's endless amounts of platforms popping up, and that's creating opportunity. But we also have to get into, uh, we talked about this very prominent aspect, is location scouting. Talking to members of the location scouting union or whoever that group is and educating them about how easy it is to create more access for actors with disability in their location scouting. So we have to sort of break down each possible obstacle individually and address it. That's part of the thing. But, you know, we're we're also in the process of discovering, too, even after 30 years, how do we address this? How do we address that? And so, you know, things like location scouting all of a sudden pop up. You know, we're always working on casting and producers and all of that sort of thing. But if we can create... A, a fully accessible place of employment and not without much effort, then that's part of the battle. Well, Danny, I want to tell you, I, I do think that the takeaway here is authentic representation, and it's an issue of uh, representation and not exclusion. I want to thank you for all of your important work and advocacy, and thank you for joining me today for this important discussion. You're really one of my heroes, and I think you've had tremendous impact on our society, especially the entertainment industry. We all know that the entertainment industry has a responsibility to tell inclusive stories, to present all people, all parts of society, and I hope it will finally take steps towards uh, auditioning and casting actors with disabilities to play characters both with and without disabilities. In this year of 2019, there's no room for excuses, and we, you and I and others, will make sure of that. So thank you for joining me today, Danny. And thank you for having me, Jay. And I, I just wanted to add this because it speaks to your point. We get really excited about those authentic portrayals. If you look at a film like Crazy Rich Asians or we look at Black Panther, and we get really excited about that kind of inclusivity. And so I think the more you and I get together and push that needle further, we can create that same excitement about that kind of inclusivity as well. Thank you. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman.